pray. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so I pray this evening, give us eyes to see. We ask it in the power of Christ's name. Amen. I wonder when last did your own mind's eye gaze at the Savior's crucified form? I'm going to ask that again. When last did your own mind's eye gaze at the Savior's crucified form? Sadly and honestly, for me, it's not often enough. And it's not often enough because it's a painful image to behold, isn't it? And it's not just because of the blood or the nakedness. The means of execution itself, even though it was dehumanizing and torturous. And not just because it was a matter of gross injustice like the world's never known. The Jewish courts and the Roman courts both said they could find no fault with him. We're going to hear it narrated shortly from Pilate's mouth. He admits to it. I find no fault with this man. But he ends up crucified. How does this happen? It's sin. It's the power of sin forming a series of betrayals. And there were a series of betrayals surrounding Jesus' death, and each betrayal exhibits a way of sinning that is not too uncommon to us. We already heard of two of these betrayals. One was Judas, and with him we see greed. Judas's assigned role in the court of the disciples was as the money man. He was the deputized treasurer of the disciples. And just six days before Passover, when they arrived to Bethany, Simon the leper, alongside Lazarus and Martha and Mary, they hosted a pre-Passover dinner and invited Jesus and the disciples as their guests. Martha was serving as usual. Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. This is the Lazarus that he raised from the dead. And then there was Mary, and she does something unthinkable. She pours out an incredibly expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet, and she begins to wash his travel-wearied feet with her very own hair. Can you imagine? Those of you who came last night to our Maundy Thursday service, you at least got to use your hands. Can you imagine if the command from up front was to use your hair? I think less people would come. Except for all the short-haired men or women. What she did was outrageous, really. It was nonsensical. It was even mildly inappropriate. Have you heard this story before? Someone speaks up complaining about how egregious and wasteful this act is. How dare she use a perfume that's worth about an entire year's wages on Jesus. It's Judas. John 12 says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Because you see, Judas is his stewardly stance is really just greed in disguise. 
his seemingly conservative financial approach in this moment, it says more about how little he values Jesus than it does about how much he values the expensive perfume. What a waste, Judas says. And so his proposal is that they need better control over the money, but it's obvious that the money has control over him. And we know this from his betrayal, don't we? For 30 pieces of silver, he gives Jesus up. Biblically speaking, according to the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver is what was owed to a master if you accidentally killed his common slave. Jesus valued as a common slave. To Judas, Jesus had a price. To Mary, he was priceless. And so I wonder, can you relate to Judas? Does Jesus have a price for you? But then perhaps even the more painful betrayal would be that of Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. His vainglory showed forth in his drastic mistake. It was really shown in, in the way of fear of man. Now, Peter, he was the unelected leader of the disciples. Bold, brave, first to speak, first to act. We heard this at the beginning of the narration that was done tonight. Peter pulls out his own sword to defend Jesus as a band of Roman soldiers come to arrest him. And then just hours before that, in the upper room at the Last Supper, Peter declared himself to be the most faithful disciple in the group. It was a brazen claim. He said to Jesus in the presence of the other disciples, though all the others fall away, I will never fall away from you. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Can you imagine being one of the other disciples and hearing such an audacious, seemingly arrogant claim? And perhaps Peter's claim to unwavering loyalty had a little more to do with Peter's glory than Jesus himself. Because just hours after this, he denies even knowing Jesus. The rooster crows. All of a sudden, Peter becomes ashamed of Jesus in light of the potential consequences of knowing him and being associated with him. We can relate, can't we? Too often, we live in light of the fear of others' rejection, and there is an overruling desire for others' acceptance and approval and applause. It's the fear of man. And like Peter here, we become and do what is necessary in the moment to avoid the consequences of rejection. We, we fear man. We seek our own approval and applause. And it's often at the expense of the very faith that we claim is worth living and dying for. Another way to say it is that who, who I am becomes determined by who you want or need me to be. And it's especially too true with regards to Jesus we will be with him and claim to be associated to him so long as it doesn't result in too many unnecessary negative consequences in our life. But once it starts to cost us socially or professionally or really any potential host of negative consequences, we deny him over and over and over again. I do not know 
that man. So I wonder, can you relate to Peter? Have you been ashamed of Jesus? I know that you can because I know that I can. Devaluing Jesus, denying Jesus. We share this in common. And these are just two examples. Can you imagine if we listed more? We would fall and be crushed under the weight of the reality of the truth of the sin and the betrayal in our own lives. And so I think it's fair to ask the question, how will Jesus respond to their sins, to our sin? Will he demand justice? The resounding answer is no. He will procure it. He will provide it. He will not demand it. Like Mary's perfume, he will be poured out for you. He will be poured out for me. And so I just wish for a moment we could just close our eyes until our mind's eye considers our Savior and his crucified form until we would behold him there, crucified. But this time, I want you to listen as well. I want you to listen to his dying words. What do you think you'll hear? I thirst. It is finished. Instead of greed, there's generosity. Instead of vainglory, there's humility. I thirst, he said as he died. And like Mary's perfume, he poured himself out. He did not count equality with God, a thing to be held on to for his own advantage, but he emptied himself and took the form of a common slave. And being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2. And for these betraying disciples, he hosted a meal and he offered wine to them. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink in remembrance of me. It's Matthew 26. It is finished, he said. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Isaiah 53. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he poured out on us. Ephesians chapter one. The forgiveness of our sins poured out. Fleming Rutledge, she describes this reality beautifully in her work, The Undoing of Death. She says this. Forgiveness is not cheap. Let us never forget that. Even in our mundane lives, forgiveness always costs the forgiver. It all depends on how much there is to be forgiven. It is not difficult to forgive a child for some little error. I might disagree with her at this point. She says, I don't have any trouble forgiving my husband for forgetting to leave me the car keys. Has that ever happened to you? 
These irritations are momentary, but when the offense is major, it is a wholly different matter. It is not so easy to forgive adultery or alcoholism or abuse. It is not so easy to forgive decades of neglect or indifference or cruelty. Forgiveness in these cases is costly indeed. And even with these reflections, we can only have an approximate understanding of what Jesus underwent in order that we might be forgiven. Only by looking at him on the cross can we see the price that was paid for our failures. It is indeed the greatest price that was ever paid. And she says that is what our redemption was worth to him. Friends, let your mind's eye gaze upon our Savior in his crucified form. You will see your sin and his suffering, but you will find your salvation too. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.